Amen, amen. Come on, can we give God glory today? Jesus, we give you the high praise today, God. We magnify you, Jesus. Amen, amen. Come on, give somebody a high five as you sit down. Amen, amen. How's everybody doing today? Who's excited to be here? Come on, 11.15. Little extra sleep. Coldest Sunday of November so far. I need you guys to help me settle a debate. We started at our huddle this morning. You ready? Where are the people that have already decorated for Christmas before Thanksgiving? Let's see your hands. Come on. It's all right. We love you. Where are my people that actually appreciate gratitude and Thanksgiving and are going to wait till after Thanksgiving? Come on. Man, I'm actually really impressed how that went this service. I wonder if that's connected to sleeping in late. I don't know, but that was really strong, 1115. <laughs> well, we're so excited that you're here. As you heard Ryan mention, we had an incredible ladies' night. Who's that ladies' night? Come on, women's night. Man, it was so awesome. Such a great time. Sorry about all the mud um, and the high heels and all the things that you experienced. It was exciting. You'd have to be there to get that joke, but um, it was raining. And if you haven't noticed, there's, there's some dirt around the property right now. Um, but it was such an incredible night. You know, we had an incredible um, men's night in August. It was so amazing seeing men go after God passionately. And then we had an incredible women's night here this past Friday. And you know, there was only one difference between the two nights. Does anybody know what that is? It was the aroma in the room. <laughs> it was. Men's night smelled like bacon and Old Spice, Okay. And women's nights smelled like flowers because you actually had flowers all in the, in the lobby. It was, it was an incredible night. But listen, we have great uh, men's groups, women's groups. If you ever want to go and be a part of any of those, uh, you can go to chapelgroups.com. We have groups just for guys, groups just for girls. And we have some incredible leaders that lead those groups every single week, week in and week out. Can you give it up for all those leaders? Come on. All those leaders who lead, we are so thankful for you. Well, hey, we're continuing in our series called Forward in the Life of Joshua. It's been an incredible series. Last week, Pastor Brandon had a chance to, to teach on the walls falling down in Jericho and talked about shouting for your victory before the walls come down. Come on, who's been shouting all week, right? Before those walls come down. I've been fired up. I've been excited about that word. And this series has been incredible. We've been looking at the life of the Israelites as they're just wandering in the desert, but now they're in the promised land and they're experiencing ups and downs. They're experiencing obstacles that they don't know if they can overcome. They're experiencing moments of loss, moments of victory. And I want you to know our life is not very different than the life of the Israelites. You know, there's moments and seasons in our life where we're experiencing ups and downs and, and obstacles. We're not sure if we can overcome and, and moments of victory, but also moments of, of maybe doubt and some fear. But how many believe and know that God is for us and he's moving us forward? Amen. Come on. He's for us. He's moving us forward just like he did in the life of the Israelites. And so we're really excited today. I get to speak on Joshua chapter 14. So if you want to turn there, you can turn there. In just a minute, we're going to get started. But I get to preach actually on the life of Caleb, which I'm excited about because I got to preach on the life of Joshua just a couple weeks ago. And I'm that Christian dad who named my kids Caleb and Joshua, okay? So I'm excited to preach about the life of, of Caleb. And I want you to know I'm, as I'm getting older in my parenting, I'm, I'm saying things that my dad used to say to me, right? Or maybe you can relate to that. I'm saying things like this to my kids now where I'm like, hey, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, right? <laughs> but it is so true, isn't it, in our lives that the people we surround ourselves with have determined our past, they're determining our present, and they will definitely determine our future. 
And so today we get to look into the life of Caleb, who actually was like Joshua's closest confidant, and just get to peer into his life. So turn to the person next to you and say, I'm so glad I'm sitting next to you. Come on. So glad I'm sitting next to you. If you'd open up Joshua 14, we're going to jump right in. It says this, Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said this to him. So this is Caleb now speaking. And Caleb says, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God of Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my conviction. So what he's talking about right now is when they went 40 years prior and they spied out on the land. There was 12 spies that were sent out. Now, 45 years later, Caleb is giving an account to that time when they went out together. And he says, but my fellow Israelites, those 10 other spies who went up with me, made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today. He says, I'm 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, he says, I will drive them out just as he said. Who can feel the power and the faith behind that message, right? This is who Caleb was Caleb was a man who lived wholeheartedly. He was a man that pursued God with everything that he had. He loved the Lord. And so today what I want to do is I want to look at the life of Caleb and I want to talk about what does it look like for you and me to live after God's own heart and live wholeheartedly. Amen. Can we do that today? Come on, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. God, it's a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. There's so much that just jumps out at us when we read the Bible. In fact, even this past week, I was just thinking about how when we read the word, it really just reads us back. And so, God, I'm so thankful today for the words that come alive. These aren't just stories. This is truth. This is not just history, God. These are events that actually took place, and, and they give us so much confidence. They give us so much courage in everything that we're walking in today. God, may we grasp the understanding that the timeless principles of the Bible are there for all of us to grab a hold of today and apply to our lives. Jesus, we love you. We ask this in the strong name of the Father. And everyone says, amen. Amen. So Caleb is what? He's 85 years old. He's feisty. He's strong. He's now full of faith. Here they are in the promised land. And he's recalling the time, the first time that he saw the promised land. And he's ready to conquer it. He's ready to take it on. But there was something that was different about Caleb. He possessed something that was very different. In fact, it says six times it was said of him that he followed the Lord his God wholeheartedly. That means he followed the Lord his God with all of his heart. I think if we ever thought about what is the opposite of wholehearted, it's not no-hearted. I would think it would be actually half-hearted. And so what Caleb chose to do is he said, I'm going to be a person that's going to go all in with God. I'm going to be a person that's not just one foot in, one foot out. I'm going to be a person that's going to say, you know what? I'm going to go after everything that God has for me. And I think this is why he was called a person who followed God wholeheartedly. In fact, I have a definition here that I looked up that I love. It says this about being wholehearted. It says wholehearted people are completely and sincerely devoted. 
They're determined, enthusiastic, they're energetic. They're marked by complete earnest commitment, free from all reservation or hesitation. You know, sometimes we have to ask ourselves, are we completely and sincerely devoted? Are we determined, enthusiastic? Are we energetic? Are we marked by complete earnestness, commitment? Are we free from all reservation, hesitation? Sometimes we have to ask ourselves, am I excited about coming into the house of God? Am I excited about pressing into worship? Am I enthusiastic about reading my word, about being in his presence? Sometimes we have to say, God, I'm not holding anything back. You have all of me, and all of me is about you, God. This is what it looks like in Caleb's life to live wholehearted. He went all in. He was passionate. He was devoted to the Lord. In fact, this is what it was said of him when, when the Lord was giving an account after the spies went in. This is the numbers we're about to look at. God says something about Caleb that I think is so interesting. He says this. He goes, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, here's what I'm going to do. I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. You know, some commentators say maybe that different spirit meant he was courageous or maybe it meant that he was a glass half full kind of guy or maybe it meant that he was optimistic. And, and I don't think that's what he's talking about at all. I don't think it was actually character qualities. I think it was about something that was inside of him. He actually had the spirit of God living inside of him. And because of that, God noticed what was happening in his life. And God says, there's something different about this man. And because of that difference, he was able to walk into the promised land. And the Lord even said, you're going to inherit this land. Have you ever had those people in your life that have a different kind of spirit, right? Like when you're near them, they just have this infectious nature about themselves, right? Like when they walk into the room, they light the room up. When they walk in, they just have such hope. They carry such faith. I got a, a guy who actually leads a small group with us, and I love seeing him. His name is Jim. Every time I see him, I just know that Jim is always ready. He's always excited. He's always fired up about what God is doing in his life. And I want you to know, if you don't have people in your life like that, then that means you need to start becoming the person in your life like that. Because when you, when you are a person who walks with a different spirit, it begins to change the atmosphere around you. And we're living in a time and a day where we need people that have a different spirit walking outside of this building into the homes and the residentials and the workplaces of Midlothian and beyond. Because when you do, it has the ability to change everything. Everything. So today what I want to do is I want to talk about what are the benefits of us living wholeheartedly? What are the benefits of us going all in? And the question I, I think maybe you ask is what can I do to become more wholehearted just as we jump in? How, can, how do I become more wholehearted? I know a lot of times we'll leave the application for the end, but let me just start real quick with the application. It's simple. It's this. It's love Jesus more. I know that can sound like a Sunday school answer, but I want you to know it is the truth. You want to be a wholehearted person, that means that you're going to love Jesus more. You're going to go all in with him. And so I want to talk about what does it look like when we live wholehearted. Here's the first thing that we see. When we're wholehearted, it actually benefits our family. Benefits our family. It has endless ripple effects from this present day into the future. It can impact and change a generation when you begin to live wholehearted. When you step up as the person in your home that says, you know what, I'm going to actually go all in with God. I'm going to give him everything I got. You'll begin to see that it actually will change the dynamic of your family life. It'll change generations to come. In fact, if you look at this scripture right here in Joshua 14, it says, so on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. He says, and that of your children forever. 
And I believe that many of us in this room are products of people that maybe have lived wholeheartedly. Maybe you have some people in your life that, that have really like exuded that in their life and they've walked close to God and they've made God a high priority, the highest priority of their life. And then it's really been a part of how you've been shaped in your own life. I know I have a story like that. I, have, I was blessed to have two amazing grandfathers, one on my mother's side, one on my father's side, who, who really were like role models for me. And in fact, I have a picture I want to show you of when they were, um, when I was a teenager, a little older, they became friends. They got to know each other even more. And so instead of like one coming at one time, one coming another time, like we'd have gatherings with both of them together. But these are my two grandfathers right here. And I love this picture of them. It just, it totally just shows who they were. On the left, this is my mom's father. On the right, that's my dad's father. You can see where I get my height from, which side of the family there. And these were amazing men. You know, they both served faithfully in World War II. They were on the ground in action, in battle. And in fact, it was actually in World War II where both of them, different stories, different places, but they got saved and their life was radically changed. How many of you know that we meet Jesus? He transforms everything, amen? He changes everything. And this is their story. Their lives were completely radically changed. You know, my grandfather on the left was a hardworking man. He was a Culligan man. He did water softeners. He worked in basements. And he had a, a hard job where he was lifting heavy equipment every single day. But he was faithful. And he loved the Lord. And he loved his family so much. He was so devoted to them. Even when he was on the job, he would try any chance he could to tell people about Jesus. Every home he went into, he'd tell people about Jesus. And he was a faithful, hardworking man. He wasn't a pastor or a leader or anything like that. But he loved the Lord with all of his heart. And he dedicated his life to him. But you know what? He wasn't always this way. In fact, he was actually raised by a father who was a severe alcoholic and he was abusive. And him and his brothers in return became brawlers and fighters. And, and this is just all they knew. This is what their life was. But when Jesus got a hold of him, it changed everything and he became a completely different person. He gave up his entire life for the call of God. I remember one time he was reading the Bible and and I was at his house, and, and I was a little older, and, and he's in the corner. And I remember asking him, like, what are you reading? I called him Grampy. I said, what are you reading, Grampy? He's like, I'm reading Proverbs. I'm like, you read Proverbs every morning. Why do you read Proverbs every morning? And he said this to me. He says, you know, Joel, he said, I never had a father who taught me how to be a father. And I never had a father who taught me how to be a husband. And so I decided to go to the wisest man in the Bible and learn from King Solomon on how to do both of those things. And let me tell you, he lived that out because he was one of the greatest fathers. <laughs> he was one of the greatest grandfathers. And he modeled things for me that I, I hope one day I can live up to half the man that he was. He loved his family so deeply and desperately. And I'm so forever grateful for that. My other grandfather, he worked at a potato factory. I don't even know if potato factory is a real thing, okay? But potato factory is a real thing. He was a hardworking man as well, and he served in World War II, and, and um, he loved the Lord as well. And, and I remember, man, he carried, even when I was a kid, I remember him coming home from work. He would always whistle on the way home from work. It was something I remember, but he didn't know how to whistle. Think about that. He didn't know how to whistle, but he'd come home, and he'd be all the time. No matter what the day was like, he worked hard, long days. He'd come home, and this is how he was. He'd be like, like, all the time. All the time. That's what I thought whistling was like as a kid, but I found out it wasn't. He had so much joy. But, you know, his story as well started off where he was raised in a very strict Catholic home. And when he got, when he got saved, he got radically changed and he was born again. But Catholics didn't recognize that term. They didn't understand that term. And in fact, his whole family got very upset with this new direction he went on that they disowned him. 
So much so that the business that he worked at was actually his father's. He was the oldest son. It was supposed to be his business. But his father cut him out completely of it. And, and all he was allowed to do was come to work. And he would pick up packs of, sacks of potatoes all the time. I remember I had a chance to actually go pastor my, my grandparents, pastor at my grandparents' church um, when I was 20 years old. And I got a chance to live near my grandfather and take care of him up until really the day that he died. And I remember every time he would even worship and lift his hands, he couldn't lift his hands fully because he was, he was just forever carrying potato sacks on his shoulders, you know. And, but he loved the Lord. And even though he couldn't do it, he, would just, he, he was so passionate about the Lord. And there's a story in his life where, you know, his father disowned him, didn't come to any family gatherings for years. And one day, like later on in my grandfather's life, my great-grandfather's car broke down, like right near his house. And it was raining. And he didn't know what to do or where to go, but he knew his son lived there. And he walked into the house because he needed help. And this is one of the first times they had interacted in years. And I wish I could say it in Italian. My dad was trying to tell me how to say it in Italian, but I couldn't do it. But this is what he said as he walked into the home, because all he spoke was Italian. And he just said, as he walked in, he says, I sense real peace in this home. And it was in that season of life that my great-grandfather gave his life to Christ because of the faithfulness of my grandfather. And... I, want, I say all this because I want you to understand this truth right here. Legacy is not what I did for myself. It's what I'm doing for the next generation. I want you to know when you choose to live wholeheartedly, it's not just about what's happening in your life right now. It's actually about what's to take place in your family's generations to come. That this isn't just about something that's happening now in your life, but this is projecting your family for generations to come. It's about breaking generational curses over your family. It's about breaking addictions over your family. It's about breaking cycles that sometimes our families have been in. But now today the Lord is saying, when you choose to come after me wholeheartedly, I begin to change everything in your life. You know, maybe you're in the room and you're like, I didn't have a praying grandfather. Maybe I don't have somebody in my life that, that had lived wholeheartedly. You know, I don't have that model. I want you to know today, you are that person then. And today you get to set a new tone. You get to set a new cycle. You get to set a new path for your family right now. And you get to start in such a way where God's going to come in and you're going to go all in with him and he's going to change everything. In fact, if you look at the life of Caleb, this is probably the case for him. I'm not sure he really had anybody that was praying grandfathers or parents in his life. In fact, Joshua 14 highlights this. It says, so Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since. I want you to understand, this is important. I think the scripture puts things in scripture on purpose so we can learn a little bit about this. The Kenizzites were not from the Jewish tribes, if you will. So Kenizzites were actually pagans. They, were, they lived in the land from Canaan. It was a pagan group of people. So here's this guy. He's not Jewish, right? He doesn't come from anything Jewish. And now he's not only in the nation of Israel, but now he is a prince and a leader in Judah, a leader of the tribe of Judah. How does that happen? How does that happen? Listen, when you live wholeheartedly, God could take a nobody from Nowheresville and make him a person of influence. How amazing is that? Like, he's not a respecter of persons. What he's done for one person, let me tell you, he will do for another. It's not just about, well, maybe if I become a pastor one day or a leader, maybe I could be one of the people. On, it's not about that at all. Caleb was a normal guy, doing normal guy things. But he lived wholeheartedly, and he believed so much in the promises of God that he was willing to go to bat for anything that God was going to put him up against. And in our life, we begin to recognize and know 
that when we go all in, it doesn't matter what our past has been. It doesn't matter what's happening in our present right now. God meets us exactly where we are, and he wants us to be wholeheartedly pursuing him. You know, not only does it bless our family, but here's what else wholeheartedness does. It actually builds our faith. When you go all in with God, we're not just one foot in, one foot out, kind of filling out the territory. But when you go all in with God, it actually begins to encourage your faith. But how many know that faith doesn't come automatically, right? It doesn't. It's not easy. Let's just be real. Faith is not an easy thing to even at times wrap our minds around. But the Bible, from start to finish, has this tone of faith through all of its stories. In fact, some passages that come to mind are like even Proverbs 3, a very common one. It says, trust the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all of your ways, right? Acknowledge God, to know God. And it says that he will make your path straight. It's this thing that says, don't rely on your own senses. Don't rely on your own understanding. It says, lean on God's understanding. You know, one of my other favorite ones is Psalms 125. It says that those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, that cannot be shaken but last forever. There's this tone of faith in the scriptures, but faith at times doesn't come easy for us. But you know what does come easy? How many know that doubt and fear come pretty easy at times? Come on, let's be real. Like you don't have to try and be filled with doubt. It just happens. You don't have to just try and be afraid, right? It takes place in our life. But faith is cultivated. Faith is tilled. Faith at times takes time. It happens by getting close to God. It happens by putting ourselves in a place of trust. Things in my life that I have tucked away in mystery are there on purpose. Why? Because it actually gives me a reason to trust God. I know sometimes that can be a hard truth for us to swallow, but I think if we figured everything out, if we have every answer to prayer that we need, if we know what tomorrow's going to look like, you know what happens? I don't really think we have a reason to trust God for anything anymore. In fact, we may not even put faith in God. We may actually just put faith in ourselves then. And so I think at times in our life, we need to have areas that are unknown, areas of mystery, areas of not sure what the future's going to look like. Why? Because it develops trust. It develops faith. It develops hope in our lives. You know, if you look at this right here in Numbers 14, this is where you back up. So we'll back up a little bit. This is going to be 45 years prior now. And this is when Caleb and Josh were sent out with the spies. And they saw the land, the promised land for the first time. And it says, but my servant Caleb because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. If you back up in history a little bit to where this all began, Israel's under Moses' leadership in this moment. And they're looking at the promised land and they knew there was a great vast inheritance for them. God had actually said to them, I want you to spy out the land that I'm giving to you. Think about that just for a minute. God says, I want you to go check something out that's already yours. Don't forget that. He says, I want you to go spy on something that has, has already been victoriously placed in your life, but I want you to go check it out. And so it took 12 spies, and he sent them to spy in the land, and they came back, and they reported. And 10 of them came back and said, there are giants in the land, and we're like grasshoppers to them. We can never win this battle. And they begin to spread this amongst the entire camp. And here's why. They lost sight of the promise because they fixed their eyes on the problem. And sometimes in our life, we can lose sight of what God says because we're so overcome with the obstacles that are right in front of us. But Caleb and Joshua came back, the two, 
And they said, listen, this is a done deal. We got this in the bag. This is a setup by God for our victory. They came back with great courage. They were wholeheartedly devoted to God and they viewed it differently than the other. In fact, this is what it says. It says their protection is gone. This is what Caleb says. He says, the protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Think about that. He says the protection is gone. You know, we just talked about the fortified walls last week. When Caleb and Joshua were spying on the land, I'm certain that they saw these huge fortified walls. In fact, what you also find out is that there's actual giants living in the land. Yet Joshua and Caleb come back and they say their protection is gone. Were they blind? No, they weren't blind. They says the Lord is with us. You see, they recognized and knew that even though their obstacles were there, they knew that God had promised they would enter into this land, and they firmly believed that now anything that was an obstacle before will no longer be an obstacle for them. In fact, I wrote it down this way because I think it's so important. Faith doesn't change what you see, but how you see it. They saw the same thing the other ten saw. They saw it differently. They weren't blind to it. They were totally keen to what was happening, but they reminded themselves that the Lord is with us. You know what? I, I want you to know and just pause a minute. I feel like there's people in this room that need to be reminded of this truth right now. That no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, the Lord is with you in it. He's never going to leave you, never going to forsake you. He's going to walk beside you. He's going to walk with you. He's the God that's for us. You know, and this is really interesting because I think when the 10 spies came back and they started spreading all these doubt. I don't think anybody in the room was like, hey, I choose fear. That's what I'm going to choose today, right? I don't think so. You know what I think they did? I think they said, I choose wisdom. But here's the thing. At times, fear can ask, actually masquerade itself as wisdom. And I know that could be sometimes tough to hear, but I want you to know a lot of times when we live cautiously, it actually could be a result of us actually living in fear, and we don't know it. Fear of what is about to come. And so a lot of times we'll say, you know what, it's the wise thing. In fact, these spies came back and they reported truth. They didn't report any lies. They didn't tell any lies. They were being honest. They said, there's giants in the land. There's fortified walls. We're like grasshoppers to them. But you know what? They didn't tell the whole truth because the whole truth was that God was actually going to be with them. The whole truth is that God actually promised to give them that land. How many know that sometimes we got to remind ourselves of the promise of what God has spoken over our lives, even in the face of adversity, even in the face of obstacles, even in the face of giants and fortified walls? That day, they didn't tell any lies, but they didn't tell the whole truth. And they found themselves in a place where they were spreading fear. I can't, I can't imagine being Caleb in that moment. You come back so full of faith and all of a sudden everybody's starting to just cast doubt, cast a shade on all the things that God's about to do. And you know, when I'm reading this passage, I, 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 I get really fired up. Sorry if I'm a little too fired up today. I, it's service, service number three and, and I think this is just, this is a cornerstone of what we believe as Christians, right? It is trusting God. It's putting our faith in him. But, you know, when I'm doing the study, I, I realize in Deuteronomy, I think it's 1 verse 36, you know, God is so mad at this moment with these 10 spies. In fact, if you look at it in Numbers and Deuteronomy, he actually says they've rebelled against me because they didn't trust him. He says that you rebelled. In fact, he was so mad that he said, no one is going to enter the promised land now. They were about to walk into it. Think about this. The Israelites spied on the line. If they all came back like Caleb and Joshua, you know what they never would have done? They never would have circled for 40 years. 
But because 10 of those individuals came back and casted fear and doubt, God rose up and he said, there's only one person that's going to cross into this promised land. He said, and that's my servant, Caleb, because he's loved the Lord his God wholeheartedly. He even turns to Moses and he says to Moses, Moses, you're not going to enter into the promised land either. So get your assistant Joshua ready because he's going to lead the people. The only two people from that story that entered into the promised land was Caleb and Joshua. And it's because they were people that were after God's heart. There are people that decided to go all in on their faith. There are people that knew God's promises and recited that. In fact, if you fast forward 45 years later, now we're back at Joshua 14, right? It says, now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years. This is Caleb talking. He says, since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am. He says, I'm 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. He says, now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, he says, I will drive them out just as he said. Let me tell you, when you're close to God, you'll be convinced of things that no one else is. Why? Because God's going to make his ways known to you. Here's Caleb, 85 years old. Think about this. He's 85 years old. He's fired up. I mean, he is so ready. He's like stepping up. They've just walked into the promised land. And here, let me just tell you this about the promised land. They're in the promised land, but that didn't mean their work was done. It actually meant their work was just about to begin. They had to drive out enemies. That's what this passage is about. In fact, I want you to know that the promised land isn't them sitting on a beach sipping a pina colada, okay? I know sometimes we can think that about the promised land. We're like, oh, it's flowing of milk and honey, right? No, it was, but they had to actually do some work when they got there. And you know why I think that is? Is because I think the promises of God are yes and amen over our life, but we still have to possess those promises. And so here is Caleb. He's 85 years old. He's fired up. He's ready to go. And he's like, give it to me. He said, I'm ready. I'm excited. And in fact, he was so excited. He even says here, you yourself heard that the Anakites were there. You know who the Anakites are? The Anakites are like this, these actual giants. This is like Goliath's great, great grandfather. Okay. Like these are real people. And he's like, the cities are fortified. He goes, they're massive. He goes, well, let's do this. Let's do this. He was 85. He was vigorous. He was ready to go. You know, we get all fired up about David who slayed Goliath. You know, he was this young guy who had a sling. But you know what? We should get fired up about Caleb because if you actually read a little bit on, he actually killed three giants by himself. And he was 85 years old. That's pretty impressive. Stuff we don't highlight in the Bible, but it's there. I'm telling you. He's fired up. He's ready to go. And I want you to know, here's the reason why. I truly believe your giant looks different when you believe a promise. Caleb is like, the Lord promised me. He goes, Joshua, he's like, don't you forget. I want the land with the most territory and the most resistance. I want the land with the giants. And I want the land that nobody else wants. And even though I'm older than everybody else here, I'm ready to go ready to go. And I think it's important for us to know Hebrews 11 says, man, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Caleb stood firm. He knew what God had said and he believed the promise. He stood on it. And I want you to know this. I think this is so important for us to recognize and understand. And that is 
make sure we build our faith before it's time to build our faith. Make sure that you know that when you need to build your faith, you've probably needed to do that four steps before. That the kind of faith that moves mountains doesn't happen just in a moment, but it happens over a series of moments. You see, Caleb is now 85, but 45 years ago, he had a moment to step up to the plate and to say, we can do this. And even though he couldn't walk into it then, you know what he did for the next 45 years? He built faith upon faith upon faith upon faith that when he was 85 years old, he was saying, you know what? I'm ready more than I've ever been ready to take on these giants. Living wholeheartedly builds our faith. And here's the last thing it does. It also blesses our future. You know, when you go on with God, let me tell you, watch what he will do with your future. Doesn't matter what your circumstance is right now. Doesn't matter what your situation is right now. When you go all in with God, just you wait for what he will do in and through your life. In fact, check this out in Joshua. It says, then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. Now he has it. It says this, so Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Because of his faithfulness to the Lord, not only did he get to enjoy the land, but his family got to enjoy the land, the generations after that got to enjoy the land, the people that came after that, people that he never even knew about because of his faithfulness, they got to experience the goodness of God because of one man's wholeheartedness. I want you to know there's promises over your life right now. There's destinies over your life. I want you to know that you're not insignificant, that God knows your story. He knows who you are. In fact, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans, the Lord says, I've declared for you, right? Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God has promised us many things. And I want you to know today that he has destiny written over your life. He has promised you great things. And no matter what the obstacle is, I want you to know that he knows and he recognizes all of those things. But he's given you everything you need to achieve and to push through and to move forward in the things of God. And this story is not just limited to Caleb. In fact, check the scripture out right here. Second Chronicles 16.9 says this about all of us. It says, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Whose hearts are fully committed to him. And this mean the Lord's searching throughout the earth. Okay, who's screwing up today, right? Or who's not doing it right today? I think sometimes we have this viewpoint of God, like I better get it together because if God catches me in his view, I want to be doing the right thing, right? And that's not what God's looking for. God says, I'm looking for the person that's going all in right now. I'm looking for the person who is passionate, who is wholehearted, enthusiastic, the person that's saying, you know what? It doesn't matter what my past says about me. It doesn't matter where I've come from. It doesn't even matter what I'm wrestling with right now. Today is the day of salvation. And so for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And here's what happens when he finds that person. He goes, there's that man. He says, there's that woman. There's that person. I'm going to come alongside that person. And I'm going to help them. And I'm going to give them victory. You know, Jeremiah says it like this. It says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, if you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. God is saying here, I'm a God that can be found. And you know what attracts the presence of God in our life is when we live wholeheartedly, when we pursue God with everything that we have. This is a truth that we see in scripture time and time again.
And I love this last one, and we'll close with this scripture. It's um, Hezekiah, actually, in Second Chronicles, it says, Hezekiah sought his God wholeheartedly, and as a result, he was very successful. I love this one, right? I know that for a lot of very super spiritual people in the room, you don't really care about success, but for the rest of us, this is really good news, isn't it? Like, it's great news. Because let me tell you, God is bringing blessing. He's bringing success to the people that are pursuing him with all of their hearts, all of their strength. In fact, Jesus echoes this in the New Testament when it's asked of Jesus. They say to him, what is the greatest commandment? And what is Jesus' response? He says to love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your might, with all your emotions, with all your abilities. Love the Lord your God. And this is what the Lord is calling us to do today is to pursue God with all that we have. You know, I want to close with this. And then I'd love to pray for you all today. You know, when I was doing the, the research of this passage, and, and I loved it, Joshua and Caleb, in their report of uh, the giants in the land, when they came back, this is again 45 years prior, they saw the land, they said something very interesting. They said, these giants, they're our bread. And I was like, man, that's so interesting that they would say the giants are their bread. I'm like, that's a little arrogant, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing to take on the giants. It's another thing to say, like, they're our, they're our bread. You know, I started thinking about the Bible. When does the Bible talk about bread? It says things like, in the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. Or it says, man can't live on bread alone, right? But on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. And I feel like the Lord just really spoke to me and said that their bread was actually the spiritual nutrients that they needed in order to conquer the next thing that was coming. And so I want you to know today, whatever you're facing, whatever's happening in your life right now, I want you to know, not only is God with you, but God is going to use it to set you up for what's to come down the road. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray together. And I'd love for you to do this if you are comfortable. If you close your eyes, if you close your eyes, I'd love for you just to put whatever that obstacle is right now, whatever that giant is, whatever that thing is that looks so big to you, something you feel like you can't overcome, something you feel like that's really just weighs you down, whatever that may be. I think all of us are dealing with giants. I think we're either dealing with a giant right now, we're in a season of coming out of dealing with a giant, or we're about to deal with one that we're not even aware of yet. I just want you to take a moment and put it before the Lord, because he cares about you. So let's just do that for a second. Whatever that thing is, whatever that need is, whatever that impossibility is, whatever that thing to overcome is, we just take a minute, and we don't act as if they don't exist. We just choose to see them differently in this moment right now. We choose to see them with eyes of faith in this moment. So let me pray of you. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for every individual in this room that's facing a giant, that's facing an obstacle, God, that's maybe feeling overwhelmed with fear or doubt. God, I pray that they would recognize that today is the day of faith. Today is a day of increase in their faith, God. Today is a day where they recognize, Lord, they're not doing this on their own, but, Lord, they're doing this in partnership with you. God, I pray that they would be reminded of the promises of God, Lord. They would write down the promises of God. They would read the promises of God. They would recite the promises of God. God, promises that say things like, no weapon formed against me shall ever prosper, that the same power that rise Christ from the dead now lives inside of me, that greater is he that is within me than he that is within the world, that we're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, that, God, they would recite promises like don't be anxious about anything but through everything through prayer and petition and with thanksgiving we will present our request to you God and that the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds God I pray that we would lock into your word Jesus we would remind ourselves of your promises God 
And we would know that, Lord, not only have you promised us the things in our lives that you've put before us, but you've given us all the ability to possess them, Jesus. We love you. We give victory to you. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.